Welcome to Gu Dao Jingxing, Walking the Timeless Way, a podcast that digs deeply into the ancient texts of Tao Te Ching to explore their timeless wisdom and talk about how to apply it to today's chaotic world. I'm Ian Felton, a practicing psychotherapist, and I'm joined by my co-host, executive coach David Wong. Good morning, David. Good morning, Ian. So I know today we're we're going to talk about chaos and and how it shows up in our lives and how we might deal with it. Um, just curious, I know we're we we've talked about um, just recently how chaos maybe has shown up in in our lives. What are some ways that chaos has shown up in in your life recently and and maybe what what was that like experiencing that that chaos in in your life um well if uh, first of all when i think about chaos you know i'm thinking of you know a state of kind of disorder or Mm. So, and, um, you know, frustrating. Unpredictability. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think recently in my family, uh, my sister-in-law, like my mm. brother's wife, uh, you know, has been di diagnosed with cancer. So that's something mm. that uh, we have to cope with. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, my wife got you know, her foot got injured. So, mm. but again, you know, compare with, I guess, the rest of the world, these are, you know, unpredictable changes. But, you know, just based on the news I hear and, you know, stories, I feel like, you know, the world, like, is more chaotic. So I, mm. you know, I, I feel like, uh, I wouldn't use the word chaos for my, but it's definitely something like, you know, I have to adapt to. So there's kind of different, different degrees of, of chaos. Yes. It's not like it's this entity or being where it shows up the same way for everyone that it, it's really a word that we use to describe certain states of, of life when, when things feel, unpredictable or kind of shift us out of our routine, that can be something like a, a leaky pipe. It yeah. can be a one getting sick or it can be kind of these huge chaotic events like, like wars when like what's being experienced in Eastern Europe and Russia and Ukraine right now. Yeah. Yeah, I would say it's a, a spectrum, but the essence of that is uh, probably some kind of unwanted. I think it, it implies unwanted mm. change. Mm. Yeah, it does definitely has some kind of emotional connotation. It's interestingly in preparation, you know, for our podcast, you know, I look into this, the origin of this world. Um, mm. You know, originally it seems like the word, the this word, you know, has multiple layers of meanings. Uh, uh, you know, the if you look at the ancient Greece, you know, that's where the you know chaos that 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 word came from, uh, ancient Greece. Um, 
it it may it it could mean um, abyss or void or some kind of emptiness. Mm. Even in the Bible, you know, if you look at the, you know the beginning of the Bible, you know Genesis, some of the translations, you know, use the word chaos. Mm. So it's not exactly as the same as we are using today. When we are using today, uh, you know, it has some kind of emotional meaning to it. And so it's the meaning has changed over time where it, it did seem to in the past sort of imply some sort of um, real force of of nature. And we don't necessarily use it that same way. Yeah. Like yeah. It seems like the original meaning came from the undifferentiated kind of unity. It's like a soup. It's a like a it's a mess. Uh, you don't see it's it's more formless. So then forms emerge, you know, then we mm -hmm. see patterns, we see orders. Then today it seems like every time when things are out of that patterns we're used to, we call it chaos. So that's the kind of uh, evolution I see. So, you know, maybe chaos was a natural kind of phenomenon, you know, before uh, the universe comes to being. I mean, even in ancient Greece, the universe, they call it cosmos, implies mm -hmm. some kind of order. So prior to, according to the, you know, Greek mythology, you know, like they, the, um, before cosmos, there's chaos. And and so it seems as if the, the, the thinkers, the ancient thinkers, really saw chaos as being the source or the, the most natural state of the universe. And, and it seems like they had a lot of insight there because even though people who are experts in physics have continuously evolved their theories. We, we know that underlying all that we call matter yeah. seems to be this chaotic soup of quantum material that doesn't really exist in any kind of way that we can conceive of existence, that it really is this chaotic soup of probabilities that flash in and out of existence. And so it seems like intuitively these Greek thinkers, again, were really onto something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in talking about chaos today, uh, you know, having this conversation, uh, you know, um, I, I think in, in studying the origin of it, it lets it leads me to think you know, maybe, you know, we should uh, look at the, the way we think about chaos in the world. Mm -hmm. Well, tell me more about what you mean. Well, primarily, I think people talked about chaos. I, I, don't, I do not think that, you know, there's any positive co connotation mm -hmm. to it, right? People get anxious. People get frustrated mm -hmm. because of the, oh, the chaos in the world, you know, you know, specifically economically, geopolitically, ecologically, and psychologically, because, you know, we, if 
the current meaning of chaos is like state of disorder, you know, then we talked more and more about the mental disorder. So, yeah, no, nobody gets off the elevator and says to the people, have a chaotic day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 right. Yeah. But but, you're, but what you're telling me is, is that you think that there that maybe there are some benefits to chaos. Yeah, depending how we uh, navigate that chaos and depending how we, I mean, before navigating, I would say even view or look at chaos. Okay, what are some of these other ways of looking at it? Well, first of all, you know, if we go back to the original meaning, if it's a void, it's emptiness, it seems like it's it's almost the, the, the source or the ground of being or becoming. Uh, you know, like uh, new things start to emerge. So chaotic as it is, you know, we're going to see some new things. So isn't that interesting or exciting if we get over... Uh, our kind of a fixed mindset of being orderly, I would say. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that because I, I completely unrelated to, and I, I didn't even make the connection to 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 our our topic of chaos this week. But I was writing a blog post on for my psychotherapy website, mm-hmm. literally on emptiness and how underlying. Mm-hmm. Our existence is emptiness, and I didn't make the connection to chaos until you just made that connection for me just now. So I find that supremely fascinating. And, and so, yes, I agree 100% that I, I believe that underlying all form and experience, there is this underlying a- emptiness. So would you would you talk more about, about that? Yeah, emptiness... Uh, uh, uh... My understanding of emptiness is not just empty. It's mm-hmm. just like a space that mm-hmm. has all the potential. That's how I see emptiness. Like, it seems like um, it, it's not not it's not like nothingness. It's just like there are just many things. Uh, we are not uh, we're we're just maybe starting to see or in the past we're just you know focusing on one concrete thing we 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 see that thing exists but emptiness bring us almost like it's like a put uh push the reset button Mm. what what i'm getting a sense of and what you're saying is that there's a stability in emptiness that emptiness is actually stable yeah in some I, I think in some way i mean they remember like i remember the old zen story talking about you know a zen master talking about to a young person and the young person wanted to know how to achieve the enlightened state and you know while they are talking they're just like drinking tea and then that emptiness right so empty the cup then something will be filled uh, so that's the analogy, the metaphor I can see. Like, so if we do not in some way empty ourselves of the old 
beliefs, old habits, old way of doing things, then then we are really like stifled the possibility of having new things come out, you know, emerge. Yeah, that um, one of the points I was trying to make when I was writing this week was mm -hmm. people chase after all of these external things to try to create stability in their life. But, but none of those things are actually stable. So if, if you, mm -hmm. if you place your foundation on a loved one or a family member or success or your 401k account or right. your youth or any of these things, none of those things are stable. None of those things are permanent. And ultimately you're setting yourself up to try to hold on to something that isn't stable, isn't permanent. And, and that when you can accept deeply accept that all of the forms and things that emerge are impermanent and really deeply accept that and, and stop chasing those things then you can be in more of the state of compassion, the compassion that spontaneously arises when we recognize we're all in this situation where none of the things that we want to hold on to and want to have permanent, they just aren't. And, and we're all in this state together. Yeah, it's a very interesting point. Uh, sometimes I wonder... Which comes first? Is that cognitive uh, understanding, like accepting, right? Accepting things mm -hmm. are not permanent comes mm -hmm. first, or the emotion of, you know, creating, leaving something behind and creating something new, uh, or the lack of it comes first. Uh, do you see what I mean? Like sometimes I find yeah. that people, at least I wouldn't say may not spiritually, you know, uh, realize or deeply recognize things are impermanent. They intellectually know, you know, through their mm -hmm. experience that, you know, things they, you know, they can't hold on to a job, uh, you know, because mm -hmm. of the economy, you know, things are changing. Just experientially, they know. But sometimes I wonder whether it's just the knowing that's the problem or at another level, their psychological resistance to change that stands in the way. They, 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 they would rather live in the illusion of security mm -hmm. as opposed to doing something and venturing into a maybe an emptiness zone for a time being and then start to see new things, new possibilities emerge. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, when you were talking, there was one word that mm. came to mind, and, and that was just insecurity. And I, and I think that it's that emotional feeling of insecurity that people struggle with because, I mean, we all have insecurities in, in yeah. all of this. yeah what that feels like to feel like 
I don't think I could handle this situation emotionally. Right. And yet people do over and over again, just even like we talked about the war that's happening in Russia and Ukraine. I mean, no one thinks that they're able to handle situations like that. But yet, I mean, here's a whole country of people that, I mean, they are dealing with that every day and they've been dealing with it for almost a year. And granted, lots of people unfortunately are are dying and and Mm -hmm. going through huge traumas but we're talking about on kind of more of a mundane way of if we can let ourselves accept feeling insecure and still allowing ourselves to go into those situations where we feel uncertainty chaos unpredictability what might we benefit? Yeah, yeah. I feel in that sense of insecurity, there are there are two layers. One is based on, you know, maybe some kind of objective assessment of the risks, mm-hmm. almost as a signal, like yeah. you know that you know basically help us navigate the world, right? Yeah, and, don't and, jump into a flooded river that's yeah, going to sweep you. Yeah, and... yeah. But the other one is the more of a derived sense of insecurity or amplified insecurity that comes from, you know, all kinds of places. I think being able to discern the two is the key. If we totally miss the first layer, then you know, maybe, you know, we'll put ourselves into danger in some way. But it's the second one, I think, that a a lot of people are burdened with or they they, they are struggling with. They imagine the sense of insecurity. Do you? Okay, so, yeah, I think we're on to something then. So, because in Taoism, a lot we talk about internal and external and and Mm -hmm. external assessments of objective kind of truths we should listen to the warning signs that say like hey you know don't jump off a bridge hey don't don't go slap your boss in the face but there's a lot of internal warning signs that people amplify and listen to that hold them back from doing things in life that they actually want to do yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the question is, the key question is, how do you actually separate the two? I feel like for a lot of people, um, it's all mixed together. If you're saying, oh, somebody's fear has no ground, oh, maybe there's some objective ground, right? Oh, yeah. But at the same time, you know, the different people facing the same objective reality, they may do things differently, Right. They will. They always yeah. will. So that that's the key thing that you know I I would love in the context of chaos love uh, to explore a little bit. You know how do you actually navigate that chaos with a sense of reality, but at the same time. Don't be scared by what you see, but sometimes, you know, 
do take a leap of faith or have some sense of courage. So that kind of a balance, mm -hmm. how we yeah, can see that in, 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 in today's world. Okay. And, and so I think that it's, it's important to um, maybe talk about the, those people that you talk about, the, the ones that objectively will react differently to the same situation. What do you think is different about the people who are more willing to take those leaps of faith or more willing to... Mm, I see. Meet, meet chaos with a, well, again, with, with acceptance versus um, trepidation and who back away. Well, I feel, first of all, if you look at everyone, you know, we are all, again, uh, we're lying on, along a continuum, right? Yeah. But if I... Lots take, of yeah, lots of people, lots of different variations in different situations, a lot of... Lots of uh, yeah variability among individuals, but in, in in general, I would say the people probably tend to be more open to ambiguities, uncertainties, big changes. You know, it's part of their personality. I would say, mm. you know, mm -hmm. going back to probably to the big five. Mm -hmm. uh, openness. Yeah, openness. So somehow I think it's already maybe evolutionarily, you know, nature kind of selects different individuals. Look, I know people who are, you know, really, really great at planning and they are doing planning all the time. Mm -hmm. Part of the reason is they cannot tolerate ambiguities. So they use mm -hmm. their planning habits to mitigate or to deal with the uncertainty they're facing. And I know mm -hmm. the people uh, who would like to have rules, like, you know, they, they couldn't tolerate. They are the dutiful rule followers in their mm -hmm. behaviors. And yep. they call it, you know, virtues or good habits, whatever they call them. But on the other hand, I see the opposite end of the individuals who uh, feel like the rules are the really like handicaps. Mm -hmm. and yeah, it gets in the way. Yeah, yeah, get in the way of their thinking or their doing. And also in this kind of, you know, tumultuous world, they seem to be the people who look around and sometimes uh, mix matching different opportunities and connecting the dots, those kind of people. Mm-hmm. And so to some extent, we know personality it can be, I mean, it is pretty rigid in, yeah. in people. And so it, it, is it fair then to say that just by nature, some people are better at handling chaos than others? Well, uh, well, depending on how you see it. Uh, so I feel like in handling part of the chaos, you do, you do need a good planners. And you do need some people to bring who are trying to uh, create order out of chaos, bring order. So, so that's another way of dealing with the chaos. So in other way, in other words, mm -hmm. maybe there are just different ways of 
dealing with chaos, it's hard to say which one is better. Because well, I all, think it's yeah, mm -hmm. it's all to, because mm -hmm. chaos and order are all together. You know, it's uh, mm -hmm. you know if we we're dualistic about it, of course, you know we would prefer mm -hmm. order. But I see in reality in the real world that certain people are working so hard in our chaotic world to bring some sense of order or certainty to people. So they have feel like they have some kind of psychological anchoring. Well, I like where you're heading with this, because then, again, when we think about how we're a species and we're a social species and, and we're not... Homo sapien didn't survive because of our individualism. Homo sapiens survived because of our cooperation and our abilities to work as a group. Yeah. And so to mm -hmm. an extent, when we stop thinking about people being good or bad at handling chaos and look at it as, oh, no, there's a wide spectrum of individual ways of dealing with chaos chaos and the sum of that is what helps society deal with chaos so that the species as a whole benefits from that variability exactly exactly i feel like all these different forces like personalities all different personalities they they are just pursuing their own bliss or, or their mm -hmm. own path and then the, the natural dynamics of it will kind of fight it all out. We, we don't mm -hmm. know. You know, I, I wouldn't say, you know, people who are keen on bring order, they will eventually, they will wing out. You know, order mm -hmm. will emerge. Uh, they, they play, I feel like they are playing their role uh, according to their makeup right their mm -hmm. personality yep. makeup but there are also other people who in the middle of this chaos and trying to concept uh, con conceptualize or uh, imagine reimagine the future you know reimagine the future not based on our past logic but you know some some kind of ideals in their mind that's what i well, look over in the yeah. world yeah, and look how it plays out when when those people who try to instill order and chaos to the extreme get too rigid, people people in mass will eventually rebel against that. We can see like in Iran how when mm -hmm. those morality police killed that woman for not wearing the headscarf and it became so rigid, people rebelled against that and now, you know, those people who want to instill that kind of order and rigidity have had to back away from that because they saw that people were revolting or even in the United States where when activist groups try to police people's thoughts too much and try to make this kind of humorless existence where you have to police your thoughts and words to such an extent that because you got to be afraid of offending anyone on any level at all. I mean, there's a backlash to that and there's a reaction to that. And then 
that stops working. But but each time there are sort of these small little incremental, smaller incremental changes that do happen in society, just like in the U.S., even though it's extreme the way that a lot of activists want to police people's thinking and thoughts and, and way of interacting, there will be a shift in awareness of like, oh, okay, well, maybe I do need to be aware of some of these differences among people. Exactly, exactly. I think bringing order seems to me and that rigidity are inseparable, in other words, that mm-hmm. there. You know, we don't know exactly wh- where we draw the line between order. When We do not know when order becomes a rigidity, in other words. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So it's through yeah. the finding out. For example, the, this thing uh, called maybe wokeness or political uh, correctness, right? Yeah. It's right. all done in the name of being liberal, being democratic, and everything. But you see the forces yeah, it's about you can... making life better for everyone. Right, right, right. All the in these great names and causes. Yeah. Um, but ironically, these things become so rigid themselves that mm-hmm. other forces are pushing them back. You know, you can say mm-hmm. traditional forces or conservative forces, whatever forces are <laughs> there in the universe, are pushing yeah. them back. Yeah. Right. In the same thing about the other round, in in the in, in other realm, maybe the conservatives or the traditionalists, they would like to preserve the old good old good old days, right? Mm-hmm. Where mm-hmm. maybe you know, uh, you know, the the minority groups are not as active, you know, as don't have a voice. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Then there are another forces that pushes them back and say, mm-hmm. now you know we're we're living in a national nationally domestically living in a more diverse world now with the geopolitical uh, politics, people say we're living in a multipolar world. So in other mm-hmm. words, the centers are going to come from various places, and these there's no dominant one. Mm-hmm. And all these forces, they sometimes compete with each other, and they sometimes they collaborate with each other. Mm-hmm. So that's the predominantly, huh? and predominantly like multipolar. Just as an, ex- I just want to put an example out there. It might be like the U.S. being dominant as a center force in the West, but then China being a, a center in the East, and and those centers are different. Sometimes they cooperate, sometimes they compete. Is that kind of what you mean by multipolar? Yeah, multi- uh, even more than those uh, bi- uh, you call the bipolar world. Uh, I mean, even, <laughs> even uh, I, I think even multiple polars, depending on the, 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 you know, maybe just like the two-party system in this country, mm-hmm. it, you know, some mm-hmm. people argued it's more efficient, right, to have a Two party, but now with the cinema and and others who want to be mm-hmm. uh, independent, so you never know. So there may be uh, in uh, a better way of uh, of governing this world, or a better world way of solving the problems we are facing in this world, are not the traditional two party system. Maybe they're too. Uh- 
Yeah, that makes sense. Because I think, and I think now in the U.S., the political independents are a larger group than either the Republican or the yeah. Democrat Party, or or at least about on par, which makes sense because I think most people are just so disgusted by both political parties and that that is the inept well again it's it's back to people resisting those forces and that's yeah. another way of saying hey you know what i'm tired of the democrats i'm tired of the republicans i'm not supporting either party anymore because they're both so abhorrent in how they do things you know, by the same token, can you imagine a global arena where people are fed up with the United States and China? And they will say, yep. you know, we we do not, uh, you know, we, we in some fashion, we can uh, work with them in some arena, but we don't want to be uh, held hostage by, yep. you know, these. Then you can see that mm-hmm. the world becoming... Uh, it's more dynamic, I would say. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I love. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, exactly. That's probably the Taoist Taoist world that Lao Tzu is imagining or is describing. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, and and that more dynamic, how we just reacted to it as this positive thing, depending upon your perspective, that can be looked at as chaos. So if you're within United States. Um, high-level ranking officials, what we just saw as being this dynamic way of the world operating, those officials are going to look at it as chaos. Oh, my God, we're not controlling Well, they inevitably, they, they are going to even sow the seed of, you know, fear and say, oh, don't let the world plunge into this chaos because then mm-hmm. you're going to be in trouble. But yeah. But that's the new order. What if that's the new order? If that's yeah. the new order, then who 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 knows for sure it's not better than today or yesterday? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No one does. No one knows. Yeah, but but I think we're at a critical stage now. It seems like all the machine of propaganda and the information. You know, it's trying to bombard every individual and say, oh, you know, go with us, go to the party with us. You know, like, you know, everybody is competing everybody's attention and to so that you can belong to somewhere. (laughs) That's another thing that I I think it's very interesting. Sometimes I wonder individually, like, say, oh, where do I belong? If I remain independent, then, you know, as a human being, you have a sense of belonging, right? You you naturally, you want to belong somewhere. But at the same time, I say, well, I really don't want to belong. You know, I have the other thought. What do I do with the other thought? You know? Yeah. And you, and you have a choice. If, if you have thoughts that when you choose to join a particular group, you know, that group that says, Hey, we're the cool kids. You hang out with us. If you have other thoughts and other parts of yourself and they're, you know, forbidden, you, you have a right. choice. You either. See, that, that's that's the whole thing. That's the whole yourself. dilemma. Yeah. That, that, because the problem is I don't want to have. I want to live with that kind of a multi, multiplicity, that diversity. Uh, yeah, because I think that's the, the, the kind of reality 
for, for me. And I imagine a lot of people are like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, this, this thought keeps coming back to my head. Last night we went to a, it was, they call it the European Christmas market here in the Twin uh-huh. Cities. And, yeah. and it is, it, it, they did a really nice job. I mean, I've been to the Christmas markets in, in Paris. I mean, actual European Christmas markets. And I have to say, the one at the Twin Cities was was pretty nice. I mean, in, in mm-hmm. Paris, they've gotten really, really schlocky sh- and just like, just kind of junk stuff that, you know, I, some of the food that they used to have that was really good, they didn't have. Anyway, the whole point is, is that I'm watching and observing, you know, who are the people here? And the first thing that I noticed was there's the groups of people who, they present themselves in this way of like, we're the cool group of people and and we're the people that you want to hang out with. And just the way they carry themselves and the way they dress and the way they kind of like hold their, you know, uh, posture towards other people that there's the sense that they think that they're the coolest people, uh, the coolest group of people there. And they're trying to present themselves that way. And then you have the people who are just like, you know, families that are there just trying to like navigate all of the the chaos with their baby strollers and whatnot. So, but what's interesting is, is that you have groups of people who all have different strategies of dealing with the madness and chaos that is going to the Christmas market. Hmm. There's no, everyone's trying to get their food, but there's no like actual line. And so people are trying to create lines and figure out what the line is. People are trying to deal with all the different personalities and you can see all the different strategies again, across the human species of trying to deal with that chaos. And it's very easy to see if you're watching by just going and looking at, at how different groups are presenting themselves in this chaotic environment. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that interesting? It's kind of a mirrors on a a microcosm. It it mirrors the greater world. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, but what what actually was the most conspicuous for me was at the end, I said to my partner, I said, you know, if you notice, like, there really weren't any poor people there. And Hmm. I noticed how, you know, I said we just went and got a couple snacks and a couple drinks and, and paid for parking. And there was just the two of us and we paid close to $50. Right. And if you're living on a tight budget and just trying to pay your bills each month, like you can't, you're, you're excluded from things like that. So I I think that's another important piece Mm. Mm. to consider in our discussion about, chaos is, is, you know, we always kind of see the tip of the iceberg of chaos because of, you know, how, how well we have adapted to the current global uh, economy, Mm -hmm. but most people in the world are poor. The, The majority of the people in the world are poor and they're, they're excluded from, pretty much everything. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are the people uh, 
I was wondering, like, say, when you think about that part of the human population, how does that, yeah, connected with the you know chaos uh, we're we're uh, or we're discussing? Yeah, well, I think how it connects is mm-hmm. looking at how again at that the broader human population we force chaos and kind of make a whole class of scapegoats to deal with most of the chaos so that we don't have to. Ha, interesting. Um, so you think these people are the, so the, the, the people are the victims of the chaos that certain part of the population create, but, but the, the, that part of the population that, creates it doesn't suffer from it but the people who right. are you know mm-hmm. is there another segment of the population kind of becomes the victim of it yeah yeah we push chaos on to to a large extent the the poor i mean look at the jobs that mm-hmm. you know um cleaning like like the world steers toward uncleanliness toward and look at the effects when when things aren't clean um bacteria disease illness Mm -hmm. and who do we make responsible for keeping our society clean we don't pay those people well i mean we we don't pay Mm -hmm. housekeepers we don't pay janitors well i mean all these people who deal with garbage and trash and um, sweeping and mopping, those are people who generally we exclude from things like the European Christmas market, and yet we're the ones that we push all the chaos onto and make them responsible for it. See, that that's an interesting observation. Um, I was wondering whether... So we, we've been talking about chaos, right? So... Are you making a distinction between human-imposed, human-induced chaos versus the chaos that comes from the natural becoming of things? You know, I'm trying to understand. It seems like the we're talking, we're starting to talking about okay, so the the chaos, there are consequences to chaos. Early on, mm-hmm. we talked about oh, maybe there's some opportunities that come out of chaos now Mm -hmm. we're talking about you know some you know bad things as a part of the chaos that happen Mm -hmm. to some vulnerable population right well i don't think we can make the distinction between human and nature because we're just part of the natural world and the, the the chaos that's created through society that's also a natural process but yeah if we're looking at you again dangerous jobs places where there's disorder i mean yeah mining and the chaos that's involved in mining and again over and over again through civilization we see it's the vulnerable poor populations that we put into those chaotic more chaotic scenarios where um, health and well-being are more at risk. Right. And, and at the same time, we exclude those people from the things like 
the European Christmas market because we don't want to see it. In other words, we've structured society so that most of the chaos is out of sight and even the people who have to deal with it, we don't want to see them either. But that's, that's, do you think at the, at the, uh, that ultimately is an illusion. So, right. It's, it's an illusion. Like say we refuse to see them, but Mm -hmm. they are there one way or the other, just like our sub, you know, like use a, a metaphor of our subconsciousness, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we try to sweep them under the carpet, but yeah. things they they will they will come out one way or the other. Yeah, and and so that's the acceptance piece that I'm talking about more. It's like I think because people don't want to deal with chaos so much psychologically and emotionally. Mm. We create this class of scapegoats to absorb most of the chaos. And then at the same time, we also want to exclude them because again, psychologically, we kind of want them out of sight, out of mind. There's a good movie called the beach that kind of gets in to, or the, uh, uh, might be, it's Leonardo DiCaprio. It's either, I think it's called the the, the beach, but it, it's about this exact thing of mm-hmm. of pushing chaos out of sight so that we can just see life as this big party. Mm. And so, I think going back to that acceptance that that's the part that's necessary from a societal perspective. The more that we can accept and be willing to embrace that chaos, I think that's also going to result in a more equitable society. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I can imagine that. But then the question is, what does it take? Is it anti-human nature to even accept? What what does it take? It, It seems like you said early on that as a human, you know, we are leaning towards some kind of order almost like mm-hmm. a life life raft right like something mm-hmm. to hold on to uh that get that helps us navigate uh mm-hmm. this chaotic world in the first place maybe um mm-hmm. but how do we overcome that tendency that psychological resistance to chaos well, I, th- I think, again, the, the relationship is between acceptance and compassion. So when the more that we can accept that it's an illusion that chaos doesn't exist in society, it's an illusion that chaos doesn't exist in the universe, it's an illusion that all you mean order. Are... You mean order? Is that order or chaos? chaos. Well, both. Oh. It, 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 it's, it's both that there, you know, there's a relationship between order and chaos, but I'm specifically talking about the part where privileged society wants to believe that chaos doesn't exist when in fact it's just been pushed onto the underclass. Right. And, and so the more that we can accept that that is an illusion, we actually, we actually haven't fixed anything. We're just creating scapegoats to deal with it. And so the more that we can accept that that is actually what's going on, that's what facilitates more compassion. And it's ultimately, I think it's through compassion that 
we can deal with chaos in a more wide-eyed or open-eyed way to where we don't have to create these scapegoats. Right. Do you think that compassion kind of, you know, I'm trying to understand the, the relationship, like the compassion leads to better understanding of chaos or better understanding of chaos, the nature of chaos may naturally lead to some kind of a human compassion. Yeah, I think it's the first. So acceptance. So so first, I, I guess to even step before acceptance, we have to be able to see these dynamics and be willing to like see that they actually exist. Yeah. And then through that, there's the acceptance of, oh, we actually haven't managed chaos. We've just created a class of scapegoats to deal yeah, with it. Yeah. Just, like, just like war. The people making these decisions in Russia, they're not the ones fighting the war. They're sending the underclass to go and deal with it. Yeah. So they're the scapegoats. It's the same thing. And if we can truly and genuinely look deeply and accept that all of these ways of trying to deal with chaos, either to maintain power or, you know, be immortal or whatever it is, they don't work then through that deep acceptance, hopefully we can have more compassion so that we're not doing that to people. We're not creating scapegoats for chaos and either, you know, excluding them from society, sending them to their death, etc. Got it. So there's like almost like a three step. Like first of all, a, 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 a more nuanced or better understanding of order and chaos. Then the mm-hmm. acceptance of that, right? That natural dynamics. And then, you know, more com- greater compassion and inclusion Is that. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think I mean, and, and I think there's a lot more to talk about it in there, but I think that those are port- important dynamics for sure and important steps. I don't think you can just start developing compassion. I think it, it, there's an evolution of. Uh, 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 so, OK, here's how I would say awareness, acceptance, compassion. Awareness. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Now back to the elites. Uh, I was wondering what make them, you know, it seems to me they're in their striving to create order. They actually create more chaos. Okay. That's my observation. But the thing is, so, so, you know, these elites, it seems they are better they, um, I, I think the the people who suffer, uh, who suffer, uh, actually, I think they are better at dealing with chaos in some way. You see what? Mm-hmm. Because they are in that chaos all the time. But the, the thing time. is, the people at the top of the society, why? What makes them want to create more order? You see what I mean? Like their yep. search order seems, you know, if you look at the three throughout history, philosophically, religiously, you know, uh, ideologically, uh, you know, from a government uh, government perspective, it's the order they are trying to create. So is that, does that tendency tell us something about our human beings? Yeah, and that one's easy. It, it's a denial of death in the, in the search for immortality. I mean, that's where, you know, 
monotheism comes from. That's, I mean, look at early civilizations and look how the elites, the people at the top, how they would create a whole society of slaves just to create tombs for the emperor, whoever, because they believe that's what was required for them to live forever. It's all about a fear of death, a denial of death, a search for immortality. And that is what creates all the additional chaos in the world. Right. So it's their fears of the death, fear, fear of death. Yeah. But it's it's interesting that that fear of death, because, you know, it's almost like um, reinforcing that the more power they have, the more material goods they have on this planet, the more they fear yeah. their, you know, of the death. So in, in other yeah. words, if, you know, you have very little. Right. On this yeah. earth. The incentives might not be stronger to kind of necessarily live longer and to live forever because you want to, you don't have much to enjoy. But in their mindset, the reason that they fear death is because with the death, they are going to lose everything with that natural level, level, leveling of the forces of the force. Yeah, exactly. And and I would even say it's a denial of death, even even more than a fear of death. It's like they absolutely refuse to admit that they're that they're mortal, that they're going to suffer the same fate as that janitor. They don't want to admit it, that that they're equal. Interesting. They're very interesting because that reminds me of, you know, uh, I think we're uh, running out of time for this podcast, mm -hmm. but uh, yeah. I, I just uh, one last note about the, what you just said earlier. Um, that reminds me of it's almost like opposite of what Nietzsche try, trying to say, the master's morality, because yeah, the, with the master, the reality, he seems to think that these masters are noble and they are fearless but what you are observing is they are actually very fearful yeah and they create the they create the what he would call the slaves as scapegoats to actually handle the psychological um problems that they can't handle themselves interesting so that that's very interesting because I've never thought that way, but now having read, you know, Nietzsche uh, recently, I feel, mm -hmm. you know, there's a whole explanation about how these two morality emerge. But mm -hmm. uh, your observation is they just like outsource that fearful part <laughs> to the yep. others and scapegoat yep. them, and then you know, pretending they are strong, they are the strongest. Yep. Yeah, it's an act. Yeah, they're acting noble and acting fearless, but in fact, they they don't handle the actual reality of it. They've outsourced it and created a whole class of scapegoat around the whole world. I see. Well, hopefully that awareness, you know, we're talking about. I, I think it's it's really a fascinating conversation to just around this, you know. Uh, talking about this notion of chaos, the state of the, this world. And uh, I find this conversation very, very enlightening and thought provoking. And hopefully uh, that, you know, our listeners can uh, find it uh, helpful to them. Yeah, great. Maybe we can, can 
do a part two next time and and maybe we can keep if we feel like there's more to talk about maybe we can keep it keep it going on this theme great take care david and thanks to our listeners and we'll see you next time